0: And welcome back to Like Razorblade Pie. Mmm, tasty. I'm your host, Michael Swaim, and this is a bite-sized book club where we dive into the short speculative fiction of my favorite author, Harlan Ellison. And uh, the story we're covering today is called The Man Who Rode Christopher Columbus Ashore – as well as like shagging fungos and some other, it's called a lot of stuff. We'll get into it. Uh, and I have a great guest and pal who I'm very excited to uh, bring into the conversation in a little bit. But right before we do that, I wanted to read you some lines from the introduction of the collection that this story is in, which is called slippage. Cause I think they will really uh, make for an excellent framing of the discussion to come. So, uh, Oh, and furthermore, I, I just want to say I've, Been very much wanting to prove to you guys why Harlan Ellison is my favorite author. And I've actually, by chance, picked some stories where he writes in a fairly straightforward manner. But this introduction, mm, because he wrote Slippage near the end of his life, it's like peak Ellison. So this is what Ellison writes like, uh, and I just wanted to share it with you because it delights me at a textural level. Ellison says in the intro to Slippage, and he's describing an earthquake here. So uh, I think that's all the info you need. The unimaginative say it sounds like a train coming toward you. Bullshit. Nothing like a train. I used to ride the freights like a bindle stiff when I was a kid. Trains have a decent sound to them, a good sound. Tough, but a willing to accommodate you. This damned thruster had absolutely nothing in common with a train. Then there are those whose best analogy is it was a deep rumbling noise. Your ass. A deep rumbling noise is what you get out of your stomach when you've had too many baby backs and hot links. A cranky bear makes a deep rumbling noise. The radiator. The water pipes trying to carry the load. Krusty the Clown makes a deep rumbling noise. I'll tell you precisely what that mother sounded like. Ever see one of those Japanese samurai movies featuring the masterless ronin who travels around with his baby son in a wooden cart that rolls on big wooden wheels? The Lone Wolf and Cub films, what they call the baby cart series? Okay then, are you familiar with Corduroy Roads? Uh, Which, if you are, you immediately get the analogy. He goes on to describe experiencing an earthquake where uh, he was injured badly and had to recover in the hospital for some time. And a little later on in the introduction, he says, The English playwright David Hare has said, The most dementing of all modern sins is the inability to distinguish excellence from success. Mortality has now been thrust on me, by earthquakes and heart attacks, too close and too severe to ignore, within a brief time, and I equate the slippage of the universe beneath my sliding consciousness with a physical world betraying me at every turn. You'll generously ignore my self-absorption. Like you, I'm only human, which may be an explanation, but I'm not sure it's an acceptable excuse." Life is not a comparison of chambers of horror, and as Gerald Kirsch pointed out in 1956, a sour soul will eat through the purest profile like acid through a paper bag, but a tiger could not mar a face animated by a good heart. For those who have not yet begun the slide journey, I will tell you that Gerald Kirsch is my favorite writer. I have long aspired to write at something like his level of excellence and originality. Not one of Gerald Kirsch's books is in print. Buttonhole any 200 people at random in the streets of any major city, and I'll buy you a hot fudge sundae with whipped cream and crushed nuts if you find one who's ever heard his name or can tell you what he did for the totality of his life. Each book I have written seems to declare its own theme. This time the theme is one of nervousness, the ticking of the clock, the unreliability of sweet earth beneath our feet, and the dear beating heart within our chests. The theme is, do it while you can. Slippage wins. Gravity ain't forgiving. The theme is, you never know when it's the last of the last. The theme is, pay attention. Good shit! Welcome, friend, Big Bean, and streamer, Alabrel. hey I, buddy,
1: I am paying attention. You can attention. talk
0: now. <laughs> Please do. Thank you for um buckling in for so long because I know that was a long intro, but well, that was good, right? Was it? Yes. Did that become monotonous or droning? I think I, that
1: rips. I, I have listened to your voice in solo for hours at a stretch, Michael. We're we're good. <laughs> your, All right, great. Well, your poetry, short story stuff. That yeah. Ah, oh, like thank it. you kindly. That in the intro, were you implying that this, this story mm-hmm. was also written in a straightforward manner?
0: Um, No, not this one. This okay. is where we, and in fact, the first episode uh, where Katie Stoll and I talked about the beast that shouted love at the heart of the world, that's not written in a straightforward manner. But I guess what I'm saying is uh, I did a pod about Vonnegut, and I think Vonnegut's strength is talking like, I'm just a regular Joe who happens to say the wisest shit you've ever heard. Whereas I think Ellison is so exciting to me because he is operatic, virtuosic, but also uses modern vernacular and pop culture. He is not spare. Like Hemingway would hate this shit. And I just think we finally got to a story where Ellison, um, I'll tell you something that blew my mind as a kid was this passage because I was always taught to cut, 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 cut cut adjectives, adverbs, cut Mm -hmm. it down. And I read this Ellison story that I'm sure we'll cover eventually on the slab that I thought was so good. And there is a page-long paragraph describing Rock where it goes like, and they tunneled through the schist, through the quartzite, through the blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you can't do that. You can't. (laughs) And it just blew my mind. So, um, yes, this story is decidedly not straightforward. Uh, I hope some of you out there read along. It is, at first... Its title changes throughout its length, but at first it's called "The Man Who Rode Christopher Columbus Ashore," and uh, Braille. If you would, could you take us through it in a nutshell? Which I realize is difficult, but like, how would you elevator pitch this if you were forced I, I to? I am.
1: I'm good at nutshelling. Saucy um,
0: podcaster.
1: Yeah, I I, I considered uh, this story to be kind of a daily logbook of. Uh, Someone, uh, a time traveler of some flavor, uh, whether or not he's your traditional sci-fi traveler, uh, a a god, a demigod or something like that. Uh, But it is uh, a one month excerpt of of his daily activity, which to me is a really weird choice to 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 do a day by day log of a time traveler because it mm-hmm. also it's it's giving you a specific date, but then it's talking about all sorts of different years and locations and everything and I'm not certain what that means or is intended, but that's the story is is that it's a it's a big mess of single stories that take place across uh, a, a little over 30 days
0: mm-hmm. And I think it's important to note some of the, so it says like Uh, every every, every, yeah go ahead sure yeah a a large number of them
1: absolutely seem to be uh like large events in history uh there's a huge number of very small ones uh a number that are entirely fictitious but there's there's definitely a, a good third of them seem to be like important historical Mm -hmm. events if not like you know at the center of what we would hear is the mythology but like as a a rosencrantz and Guildenstern background kind of thing happening during those events
0: right oh but i'm talking about literally the numbers like the point that uh they are numbered in order right so it says like Mm -hmm. monday the first tuesday the second and by the end of the story we're on saturday the 33rd piltic the 34th squaby Mm -hmm. the 35th uh, so it gets very Cody Johnston, by which I mean, it just becomes <laughs> <laughs> random syllables slammed together. Uh, oh, Mr. And I, I think that means something as well. Uh, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, that is definitely one of the most deliberate choices that was right. made. So, yeah.
0: But it affected my interpretation of who this is. So I think it's really fascinating that you latched onto Time Traveler. They certainly travel through time. Yeah, but I wondered if they might be an angel, or you know, there was a few. We mm-hmm. feel we were in a good place situation. Um, so yeah, that's the story in a nutshell. Obviously, we didn't dive into all these vignettes, uh, which will be the rest of the podcast. But they vary wildly. wildly. Like, uh, what were some that stood out to you? Uh, if I may,
1: honestly, the the comedy ones were my favorite bits because uh, mm-hmm. there's probably about what half a dozen of them that are just. Uh, quick little, uh, you know, he he kicked a cat through a tree, uh, and yeah, yeah. it's it's described horrifically, but also comedically, and yeah.
0: Also implied the cat lived, which makes no yes, sense. Yes, the cat yeah.
1: lived after having been halfway through a tree. I, yeah, I,
0: embedded in a tree by his yep. kick. Yeah. Um. Okay. So a question I always start with. Why do you think I chose you to guest on the episode where we cover this story in particular? Who?
1: Okay, um, I've got several theories on this one. Uh, the the biggest one, of course, is that I am a huge piece of shit and you hate me. Um, <laughs> yeah. oh,
0: you've been listening to the show, right? I,
1: I have been, yes. Uh, but yeah, no, each one actually, is a secret burn. Yeah. There there is a, a thread of some evil potentially in this story, but. Um, First theory is that you knew that I would do my homework. This is a very uh, dense story with a lot of pop culture reference and a lot of uh, less popular reference. And I, I in fact read the uh, what's what was her her name Kristen? I don't know. One ordinary day with peanuts mm. was the uh, the inspiration for this. I went ahead and read that. Uh, oh. I, this I, is, I don't know this. Oh, <laughs> You're okay. beyond
0: me now. Uh, so there's a story that inspired the, like the structure of this story? The uh, the, the mood, not the structure. The mood, okay. Yeah, the, Gotcha.
1: the One Ordinary Day with Peanuts by by her, it's mentioned at the end, uh, end of this. Um, it is a story about a man who wanders around in a street doing a bunch of random things, kind of tying up loose ends between people and things. And then he goes home to his wife He's been doing entirely benevolent things his whole day. And then she mm-hmm. describes a day where she's been doing uh, pointless bullshit and making people's lives worse and horrendous. And they that's what that story was about. So this nice, is, yeah. nice. you know, spiritually succession on it. So also, um, my favorite short story of all time is Heinlein's All You Zombies. Uh, Mm. Do you know that one have I ever mentioned that to you because that was my best theory was that I mentioned that and you remembered
0: it and the film predestination is based on that okay uh, if I'm correct I do not know that one so this is a spoiler alert for all you zombies and predestination you can skip ahead 30 seconds and I'll be done but is it the story where it turns out everyone in the story is the same guy yes Yeah, yeah, yeah. They made an Ethan Hawke movie based on that called Predestination, which is also decent. It's it's literally very faithful. So it's what you already know. Awesome. Um, But yeah, fantastic story. What a concept. Mind-blowing. Yeah, that one,
1: uh, read it in high school as like a sophomore, and it blew my mind. Loved it to death, and uh, it's been my favorite. That and uh, Harrison Bergeron. Uh, have been my two favorite short stories ever. Uh, And then continued theories on why you might have picked uh, me on this is uh, we both really, really like dark stuff. and Mm -hmm. That was part of it. Yeah, this one alternates between some really, really brutal dark stuff and then just some arbitrary fun stuff. Um, I'm also a hard-left anarchist, and this definitely has a huge thread yeah. of anti-authoritarianism politics in there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I, I feel like it's probably a milieu of all of that kind of put into a pot together and, and sifted out.
0: Absolutely. Uh, but I would also add, I think at the top of the list with a bullet is I know you to be an observer of human nature who cool. sometimes feels, uh, not, Like, you have had difficulty right? in some cases or in some passages of your life um, getting out there and having a vibrant social life and mixing it up in the real world. Is that fair to say? That is more
1: than fair to say.
0: Yeah, I don't mean that as a slight at all. I just mean that we've bonded over that. And uh, I super appreciate your openness. People, of course, might remember you from our Tales from the Pit episode. So I do feel like I have sort of a special emotional level intimate bond with anyone who's been on that show uh, and been willing to sort of share that space with space with me so uh bouncing off of that i just feel very much like this is someone who is a, an outsider talking about looking at the world and humanity from a position of being able to judge it in their way quote unquote objectively Like It does seem like, because there's reference to some metaphysical bureaucracy, right? That this agent is running afoul of. And at the end of the story, they're told that they've been fucking too much stuff up and they get reassigned cosmically. And Mm -hmm. we never understand the details of that. But I just thought, man, you immediately came to mind when I thought, uh, well, ultimately we had a conversation. And as soon as I was like, oh, it's going to be Braille, I thought of this story because to me, this is Ellison at the end of his life giving us really frank uh explications of like okay i'm gonna die soon this is the position he's writing this book from uh as we hear in the intro What is important that I can leave you with that might actually matter? Because when you're going to die soon, you realize how much stuff is bullshit. And (laughs) uh, I feel like you're someone who is not going to die soon, but um, already sees through bullshit in a strong way that many don't and is willing to discuss it, frankly. Um, So I want to dig into like the really dark stuff. For example, what do you think he meant? And this is, uh, forgive me, but this is a tangent question, not on sure. the list. What did you think, or what did you get out of the fact that at one point, this character, Leventus, uh, whose name also changes throughout the thing, uh, there's two back-to-back vignettes. One where they witness a violent race-based hate crime mm-hmm. uh, and just watch and eat popcorn, I think. And then immediately after that, There's another one where there's a violent race-based hate crime, and he intercedes and beats the Nazis to death with a rebar. (laughs) And uh, if I can find it quickly, well, I'll just say, like, the way it's written, it's brutal as fuck. It's like he dismantles Uh, these people's bodies. That would be on
1: the 16th and 17th.
0: Oh, thank you. So what did you, what's the point of that? Why not intercede and intercede? Why put those vignettes back to back? Why include something so shocking twice?
1: Well, <laughs> first, uh, backtrack a half a second there. Uh, I'm very mm-hmm. flattered by your explanation of why you picked this for me. Uh, I I feel that of myself, that I am a, a viewer of these things, and it's so second nature to me that I don't even, I didn't even consider it consciously that I do that. So you're a keen you observer of that, human nature. Yeah. yeah. It, it makes me feel very seen. Thank you. Um,
0: My pleasure. As in, Yeah.
1: Watching Nazis and then killing Nazis. Um, I, there's a lot of different things that could be said, but I, I feel like uh, our main character here, Levendis, is he, he's also learning through his process and I feel like uh, that is the shortest version of what we supposedly learned during World War II in that if you let Nazis do their thing, uh, it will bring nothing but pain and suffering and horror into the world. And there's only one answer to that sort of violence, and that's removing it as... Uh, horrifically as you can so that it doesn't come back. And I would say that the first one is him either soaking in the the fullness of that hate so that he can properly act on it on the next day, or it's him seeing it and then reflecting on it in the uh, in-betweens and then deciding he needs to do something about it on the following day.
0: Interesting, Yeah. And it's a uh, trigger warning. He drove the end of the rod into the eye of the skinhead, punching through behind the socket and pulping his brain. Then pile drove the wooden rod into the other kid's mouth, shattering his teeth, turning the back of his skull to flinders. The dowel scraped concrete through their ruined face. <laughs> Jesus yeah, <it's>... Christ. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's really interesting. Cause for me, I got, And I do think this has to do with the state of America right now. (laughs) I was, I've been feeling fatalistic and nihilistic. And I was wondering if it wasn't, um, you know, someone's committing a horrible hate crime. You could do nothing. That's bad. You could violently demolish them. That's also bad because he makes it seem unpalatable at least. And I, I, was like oh so there's nothing you can do there just will always be hate and violence uh I actually like your interpretation a lot better which is like no 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 Levin saw a hate crime and was like I'm gonna go kill some Nazis yeah (laughs) that's I do like that interpretation a lot it's simpler
1: if you're taking the idea that he's an angel perhaps uh Mm because that's certainly one interpretation you could easily read from this story uh there is such thing as righteous anger Uh, and and a a proper holy like killing Nazis is it's not an act of hate. It's an act of cleansing.
0: He mentioned one ordinary day with peanuts. He drives around in a van blasting through the PA that everyone should read that. Yes. Yeah. There's also an Andy Rooney L-esque element to this, which I hate to say because I do think it cheapens the story (laughs) uh, and I hope people have already read it. But I think some of it is his him uh doing a little vignette that's just like this is my political opinion disguised as a vignette um like the driving around in a bus telling everyone to read Shirley Jackson's One Ordinary Day with Peanuts it's like oh okay well that's just you putting in your favorite short story and suggesting Mm -hmm. the reader man I love that you then went read that you actually took like Harlan would be so pleased. I did yeah. not, um, I, but I will. Well, I like Shirley Jackson. I mean, for I am
1: I'm that asshole that will watch a movie just because it's referenced so many times so that I can get the reference as have purely as know. possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So looking at clues of sort of like, what could this person's job or role or function be mm-hmm. speaking of Heinlein? Have you read the unpleasant profession of Jonathan Hogue? It uh, doesn't sound familiar. Ah, that's a Heinlein where uh, it's this person's job to trigger the apocalypse, but it's not violent. It's like their job to go around unwinding and painting things out of reality. And okay. uh, it's like almost it's a road movie about the people he meets as he winds the world down. Okay. And it's very Spe- interesting.
1: Speaking of fascists.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Heinlein, <laughs> right, Heinlein, right.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. Right. Love, yeah, love, that's true love the art. Uh, that's why
0: you will never hear me do a, yeah, Lovecraft or Heinlein podcast. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I was wondering what you think about the clue in the name. So we find out that Levendus is a Greek word meaning to be full of the joy of living. Uh, and we also find out that they, this entity, changes their name to Sertza, which is the Russian word for spirit uh, after Levandus is denied. Like they're like, you can't be Levandus. Yeah. And they're like, fine, my new name is Serza. Uh, and then also, as I noted with great delight several times, this story starts with the phrase, this is a story called The Man Who Rode Christopher Columbus Ashore. And then a little later, it says, this is a story titled The Root of Odysseus. Then a little later, it says, this is a story titled Daffodils That Entertain. This is a story titled At Least One Good a Day at least one good deed a day every day and then it ends with this has been a story titled shagging fungos <laughs> i had to look that one up i don't know what a fungo uh, okay it's you a, look, God, it's a baseball reference <laughs> uh, a fungo oh, okay. is
1: a. Uh, it's a uh, i forget what exactly where in the bleachers it's landing but it's it's a ball that goes into the crowd
0: see so that's i mean if each of them is sort of a encapsulation of humanity in a single phrase shagging fungos actually tells me a lot at least one good day day, day every single day reminds me of vonnegut saying there's only one rule i know of you've got to be kind um so i don't know what did you get out of those i could see them as like encapsulations of you know like if I- you had like humanity's epitaphs maybe
1: yeah, I, this literally was the one part that was completely opaque to me. I had no idea how to read them. In fact, the first time I read it, uh, I did not know that they were intentionally there. I thought they might have been an artifact of the magazine scan that I was reading uh, to the no. point where I looked up the story in slippage, uh, which uh, is available on the Internet Archive to borrow for free if uh, you mm-hmm. would like to read further for f- further on uh, on that whole thing. But yeah, it was also reproduced there. So I knew it was part of it. And I I don't know what to make of them. It, it's very obvious. They're they're highlighted very boldly. They they clearly mean something. But I I had nothing on those.
0: OK, yeah, that's I mean, that's I'd be interested to hear in the comments what people got from those. I definitely, the closest I can come is humanity's epitaphs or like a log line for humanity. Um, Just because I do get, I think that we're observing humanity from the outside here and trying to guess at whether it's worth it. I mean, that's the vibe I get is like, or this person's trying, this entity seems to be trying to make things better slash sometimes just amuse themselves. You know, <laughs> uh, as Rel mentioned, there's these comedy moments too, where they're like, I'm just going to sow chaos every once in a while, like a fun degree of chaos. Uh, like, which is a theme that Ellison absolutely loved. Of course, we'll eventually cover repent. Harlequin said the TikTok man, which is all about anti authoritarianism and just like, the need for chaos in life and the need for whimsy you were going to say something
1: yeah um you drawing the line between the the names lavenda certza and the changing titles uh actually gave me a thought on them um please because uh, additional research uh i looked up those words and uh certza is uh it is russian for heart which is similar to spirit, but Ah. not the same word. And Lavendus they define as one who is full of the pleasure of living. Uh, It is actually defined as a good looking, bold, brave young man. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I think that they might actually be a commentary on the the subjective and arbitrary nature of everything, especially life.
0: And language. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. It never occurred to me that he could just lie and say whatever he wants the word to be. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Sci-fi does that a lot. You got to look out for it.
0: That's true. Huh. Wow. Okay. well, I'm going to now to the heart of the matter. And I I don't care if you tie this into the story, but I think this makes sense. I think this springs off the story. I think this is what the story's about. This is what I love about Allison. It's sometimes it's an abstraction. Like you're looking at an abstract painting and you get what you get, but, Mm -hmm. um, this story made me think this thought and write this question. So I'm going to read it. What do you think matters in life or to actual morality, good intentions, good actions, or good outcomes? Uh, And you can define good however you want, and you can speak to that definition if you'd like first. Sure. Or abs- not. Yeah. yeah. Um can you define the word matters? Ooh. Uh if you were Uh, Well, first of all, I was going to skip past this question, but I guess I'll go back then because it's kind of foundational to this question. Do you think there's – because otherwise it's moot. Do you think it's (laughs) possible to decide whether someone's more good or more bad? For example, I could look at Mengele and go, I think – well, let's see. Your intentions were what I would call bad. You then took bad actions that led to suffering, which I as a human and I I want people to – You know, I fear pain. I fear death. I want genetics to proceed from here. So like by my stance as a thinking human animal, you did, you did bad because you wanted to do bad and bad stuff happened. So that's all three categories. So I think I can judge dr mengala and say mm-hmm. yeah that guy was bad and then i can judge like you know uh malcolm x would be like yeah he was good or he probably is more good than bad even though you can say like well so and so once was unfaithful to their spouse or anything you know i'll be like okay but in the grand scheme of things there are people like th- so my question to you is will you go along with that do you think there is such a thing as quantitative good and bad
1: uh well that that is a complicated question let's let's go through a little bit hell yeah it is um i i feel like i'm hoping that in your audience there are going to be some people who appreciate my takes on these metaphysical questions you're asking because i know most people are going to hate them uh i do not believe in good and evil they are made up human concepts that communicate what we think are are beneficial for us individually um if they existed if if we're going to take them as a given yes i think you can quantify that uh but in a practical sense might not be able to uh but the reality of the situation is uh you know mangala from his own perspective not to defend nazis or anything but no you're not people um, get
0: what you're doing this is a philosophizing this is a land. yeah
1: okay uh, his goal was to benefit humanity as much as possible. He was doing Great. research- Great, and Abe, can we to... get a
0: clean cut of that? Let's just get a clean cut of that that I can use against Bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, make so sure to good. isolate that out so it's easy to, <laughs> to clip.
1: Mangalove, his goal was to benefit humanity as much as possible. Uh, but yeah, the, Mengele's goal from his own perspective was that he was going to benefit humanity as much as possible. He was taking these bestial people that physiologically were the same as us and doing experiments. But so he, he thought of learn. them as
0: inferior and he was going to improve them. Yeah. Right. And- okay, so let me throw at you. <laughs> but you said you believe things, right? Like you are an anarchist and you're mm-hmm. anti-certain things. You're anti, you know, intersectional, institutionalized racism and oppression Mm -hmm. based on skin and color, I presume. So, like, how do you determine what how do you live as if good and evil are something like matter, right?
1: I for it is indistinguishable in my actions between whether or not I am treating good and evil to exist or not. Uh, But my underlying principle of action is that which benefits me the most, uh, which I generally interpret as that which benefits society the most because I was going to say it's it's sort of
0: what benefits me, but also any group I identify with, right? Like we we can conceptualize a collective and think, Well, that's good because it benefits my family, my in-group, my cohort, whatever. Yeah,
1: and I think very broadly about my in-group and cohort. I, I, that's why I, I really enjoy the ideas of you know socialism, communism, et cetera, because it's going to lead to a better situation for everyone. Um, Right. Because if you take that to the hyper individualistic uh, angle, then you end up being a capitalist and. Uh, I'm not concerned with just me. I'm concerned with everyone around me.
0: Do you see the uh, separability of intention, action, and outcome? I mean, right? Those things are separable. I mean, and have you read Ender's Game? (laughs) Yes, I have
1: read Ender's Game. It is, Uh, in fact, probably the most impactful novel of my childhood.
0: I remember it's one of my clearest childhood memories is reading the end of Ender's Game. I remember where I was. I like I was in the back seat of my dad's car. I remember sp- the specific car, what we were doing, because I stopped and had to go, Dad. <laughs> like you don't under. I, it's the first time I understood the separability of intention and outcome. Right. Mm-hmm. This story where Peter Wiggin, this fucking monster, uh, ends up being this hugely stabilizing force for the galaxy. That then. Spares so many billions of living entities suffering. Whereas Ender Wigan, through no fault of his own, is Hitler. <laughs> so, yeah. like, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this story kind of gets at the same thing. So that brings us back to the question, but I feel like we've already derived an answer now is uh, what matters most good intention, action, or outcome? And you would say, what is matter or what is it to matter? Right. Right. Um, yeah, so you just dis- so invalidate the question, which I think is a valid response. Yeah, but uh,
1: if if you want me to play along, um, outcome is the only real thing out of those three. Intention and and good action; those are both made up concepts. I think that we can get a lot more people to agree. Uh, outcome is definitely measurable. Intention is a completely internal item, and Mangala had good intention. Uh, but, but
0: intention. But outcome is derived from intention. So is that which is in the mind and therefore not real? Does it not matter? I, I think I, things that are in your mind still matter. They affect I, outcome. They they <laughs> do.
1: Absolutely. Uh, they are all interrelated and it's a bit of a sticky wicket.
0: It is. That's what yeah. I really... Uh, obviously, that's the real answer. These things are just fun to think about, but we can't answer them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I'll move us along to uh, uh, the next question, which I think is super appropriate. When, m- when life seems irreducibly complex or you get to a point where, well, the answer to that is... Oh, there is no real answer because these concepts are all cha- interchangeable and yet real and not real etc cetera, etc cetera. how do you find yourself determining what actions to take uh, uh
1: this is the other probably most frustrating question i have here you, can you uh, irreducibly complex is uh, a, a complicated messy concept for me because Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things in life that are very complex and arbitrary. And as you said at the top, you chose this story for me because of the way that I look at the world and Mm -hmm. the way that I look at the world requires me to deconstruct everything to be able to make decisions. And so I don't know that I've ever encountered something that I wasn't able to break down into some sort of pieces to be able to analyze and and decide on a course of action. Yeah.
0: So when you decide on a course of action that impacts or falls within the domain of what we call morality, Mm -hmm. right? Not a mundane action, but some action that is motivated by some sense of right and wrong. Do you think that is a reasoned action or do you think it's instinctive? Like, I hate to say this, but is that, is it all bullshit, right? Is it just a result of your cultural, your inherited cultural norms and tropes and Simulacrum of the world that lives in your brain yes like that that second so you live Um, with that contradiction you go i'm gonna do what i think is good but good also is meaningless (laughs) yeah good is
1: absolutely meaningless uh anything that we decide that is moral action is just that which benefits us i i don't think that ultimately you can make a good argument otherwise
0: well i also have a very clear memory in sixth grade Of my friend Alex and I discussing this and me raising my hand and trying to explain the rudiments of isn't there just isn't there only social mores and don't, for example, a lot of, uh, you know, almost universally cultures find some level of violence eventually disturbing or they would consider it morally bad. Um, But that's really just a vestige of the fact that we are, uh, you know, sensory Processing systems that feel pain. Yeah. Uh, and we're hardwired to not want pain. So we think bad. But even pain, right? Even like, you know, ripping someone's <laughs> chest open with a claw hammer is not inherently bad in of itself, in a sense, because there is no underlying point to existence. So yeah. nothing is, like, bad. Um, and I said this to my, like, sixth grade class and started trying to explain how, because I had just learned that in Sparta they, like, groomed young boys and had mm-hmm. sex. With, and I remember how hard the teacher shut us down <laughs> and was like, we are not discussing, this is not, class for we're learning fucking basic trigonometry you little you you know (laughs) like i didn't sign up for this um but man that question's fascinated me ever since
1: yeah and Um,
0: and the follow-up question of why do i try to be good then
1: yeah um Bringing it back one level as well, like Mm -hmm. cosmically, like we're meaningless, right? But even your claim that uh, all societies eventually find a level of violence that they find uh, abhorrent, I I would argue that that's not true. It's entirely from perspectives. Uh, We, as the American experiment, have committed the most horrible, violent atrocities that any anybody has ever done the the nuclear attacks on japan are
0: among inarguably
1: the worst instantaneous actions that any one has ever taken and yet most americans still make arguments for that having been good action
0: yeah you're totally right so like it's weird which so which means i mean and this is grim But true in comparative culture, like history of the earth, like I think of rape as the ultimate wrong thing. And yet there is Mm -hmm. such a thing as rape as a weapon of war that's accepted. Oh, it's okay in this context. So everything is contextual to such a degree. Man, you're right. Even in the present, man, you just made me self-reflect in a big way because I'm Uh like, I always put it in a box. Right. I'm like, right. Like how in Sparta and you're like. Motherfucker! Now, yeah. like we just—you know—the cops murder people all the time. We just shot all those kids in Uvalde, like now. Um, so yeah, yeah. 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 What is well, good? See, if you can take anything away from this episode, terrorist actions like
1: Uvalda, people are become really,
0: ungovernable. They're Chaos able raids.
1: very much to push that away and say
0: that was a, a, a radical actor. But, oh, I think I was a hero. I, I'm the school shooter. I think I was a hero. Right. Right. I mean, that's he the thinks that.
1: But everybody else is thing. like he's a horrible villain. But right. For us to think that we are the heroes and yet we nuked a civilian population, it, that is a completely discordant thought. And that anybody can hold both of those in their mind at once is is baffling to me.
0: Yeah. Well, this is what I mean by irreducibly complex. But yeah. <laughs> not technically, because you're right. Anything can be reduced. You got me there. Uh, hey, do you believe in free will?
1: Uh, kind of. Okay. Uh I th- this is one that I go over when it comes up in my streams all the time. I I believe that everything is 100% completely predetermined. If we were able to take an outside perspective and quantify every ounce of energy and matter, we would be able to predict with 100% certainty everything that was
0: going to occur. However, and does quantum wave form theory and string theory make you doubt that at all, or do you still firmly no. believe that? No? I, I okay. still firmly believe that. But I thought I also quantum implied some element of chance to the universe. It does imply
1: be. that, and I'm certain mm-hmm. that quantum physicists, etc., would argue uh, that this point. But from mm-hmm. a functional level, we will never be able to observe all of it and quantify all of it. And so, what is happening? is indistinguishable from free will so we we do act from any any observable point that we could define we are agents of free will
0: and which might even be an allusion to the fact that we move through time who knows if right like time may have already unspooled or be Mm -hmm. a thing that you could be a fifth dimensional being and look at time and say that's done or everything that's done is always right. done. Um, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I uh, watch
1: enough sci-fi that that one is, I, I roll that one around quite point. a bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So where do you stand on, do you find that people act as mostly from an emotional space or I, I wonder, so I used to think there's been a shift where I was like, Well, cavemen probably act more from an emotional space and then less from a reasoning space and today we probably act more from a reasoning space even if the reason is delusion it's probably built on like um the mental artifice you know what does that make sense meaning that was gonna be my answer to your question actually okay (laughs) oh is that it it can be built on delusion
1: yeah it's it's mostly built it's I think that uh, objective science, you know, sociology and that sort of stuff, I realize it's a soft science, but we've shown that people largely act on emotion in almost all matters, regardless of how much they say that they have reasoned through what's occurred.
0: All that we've improved at is creating rational artifices that convince us that the emotion was valid. That's what we've gotten better at. Yeah, (laughs) I, I
1: would say that we are getting closer and closer to acting on reason. I think that we do sometimes act on reason, whereas we didn't really have reason before. And since it's invention, we have used it as a tool, but mostly as a tool to excuse our emotion.
0: Whew. Yeah. So we're, man, we're just doomed. Yeah. Uh, but it's still fun to read short stories. Well, yeah, yeah. well, you can. So... uh Before we get into my favorite segment, final question. Mm -hmm. If you could sidestep, which is what they call traveling through time and space in this, um, and you have all the powers that Leventus seemingly has, what do you think is the most hilarious thing you could do?
1: (laughs) Or what would you do? Um, I really struggled with that because you you warned me ahead you were going to be asking that one. And I, man, I just... I struggled so much to to come up with useful Mm -hmm. answers to this one, but um, I uh, I've always been fascinated by some of the the real little mysteries and funninesses of the universe. Um, Are you familiar with the Max Headroom incident?
0: I'm familiar with the show and the character Max Headroom, but okay. what's the incident?
1: Uh, the the incident is, uh, I think it was a Chicago television station was hijacked for like 20 seconds once back in the, the oh, late yeah. 80s. And I have heard of this, right? And there was this guy that was dressed up in a Max Headroom mask, and he said some anti corporate things, and there was like a spanking involved, and it's completely <laughs> unsolved. Nobody knows who this hacker was, uh, what their intentions were, etc. Uh, that sort of thing. Um, the the super deep borehole in Russia, the the deepest hole we've ever created as humanity, uh, mm-hmm. out of which heard, some almost. say they they hear the screams of hell. Um, right.
0: Sure. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you could say anything you want. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's that's fascinating. And one of my favorite American historical figures is uh, the only emperor of America, Joshua Norton. Uh, he's a fascinating figure that I, I would love to see more of, of him.
0: Uh so you'd more tour around. You'd use it to find stuff out.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Find, would, find the
1: little weirdnesses. I, I like weird.
0: Off the top of my head, I think I'd take some kind of food that's been perfectly engineered in a lab to have like bliss point mm. back and give it to like. I don't know, George Washington or something. I would just like to see okay. like tropical flavor Skittles in the hands of Shakespeare.
1: Interesting. Yeah, suck
0: on that, motherfucker. I- what do you think of that shit? And I, verily, this beeth the greatest. I just think that would be delightful.
1: I, yeah, I think they would agree. And uh, the mm-hmm. counterpoint to that, if you were, to, if we both had this power and you said, oh, I took Skittles to George Washington, I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to take our fucking shitty uh, Grand Michelle bananas back to people that are eating the. The the or no, we have Cavendish. They had the Grand Michelle, right? They I, had the Grand Michelle. Yeah.
0: They had the better, the tastier bigger right. bananas. The tastier yes.
1: bigger banana. I take our <laughs> shitty bananas and say this is the banana that we have now because uh we fucked up. You <laughs> have it way that, better than us.
0: That factoid has come up recently on a small beans podcast nice. as well. We're all mourning the loss of the banana. And now we're gonna lose the anyway. Yeah. Banana game is done. Yeah, bananas are gone. Uh okay. Well, that brings us to, as I said, my favorite segment of the show, mm-hmm. Harlan's Parlance, oh. where we talk about any key lines, uh, and this can range anywhere from I got nothing to I have 50 things to read you. Uh, this time, I actually have quite a bit. Okay. How about you, Bral? You uh, please go first. Yeah, Anything stand I, out to you this I time? I picked
1: out a couple. Um, the only... Mm-hmm. Uh, the only really pithy one was when he was quoting the the, uh, the, the sculptor uh, saying uh, that the best advice he ever uh, learned from him was establish enigmas, not explanations. And I mm, feel that that, that speaks really highly to, you know, what I was just saying about what I'd probably do with this power if I were going for, you know, weird. I, I love weird. Uh, I am yeah. I'm that jerk that will give you uh, a mystery scenario and not give you the answer until you've tried really hard to solve it on your own.
0: Mm. And you're starting a and d uh, stream I Great. am yeah well not <laughs> the, that personal Much frustration personal bugaboo
1: it is a tabletop mm-hmm. role-playing game D&D is a specific system <sighs> uh, uh. Yeah.
0: it's not a band-aid it's a, an adhesive bandage strip uh okay fair yeah uh were there others before uh, yeah I there were others the tumble, uh, that
1: were more like passages um, yeah, let's see here. Uh, second story. I only noted the be- I didn't copy the whole things down because they're like mm-hmm. two and three sentences. So let me find this one. Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah, is uh, this guy uh, this story I found to be a little uh, self aggrandizing. It's the one where he's talking to the psychologist very early in the story, mm-hmm. uh, talking about uh, his mouth disappearing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I read that as an obvious allusion to I have no mouth, obviously. And Mm -hmm. uh, at the very end of that, he says uh, the patient who has insisted that his mouth is disappearing and the psychiatrist can see the guy's mouth and he's leaving in a huff saying it's a good thing I can read lips, he said, placing the hat on his head. Because I certainly don't need to pay your sort of exorbitant fees to be ridiculed. And he moved to the office door and opened it to leave, pausing for only a moment to readjust his homburg, which had slipped down due to the absence of ears on his head. Which is just... He ain't
0: got no ears. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's... It's a Vaudevillian level joke wrapped in a delayed punchline. Uh, and I I like I said, I really appreciate a lot of the humor in this one.
0: Yeah, uh, and there is a fair bit of humor. And I think it's some of Ellison's strongest because I will say. There's other stories where he comes off as Andy Rooney, cranky old man, which uh, <laughs> maybe we'll cover someday because that's also interesting. But I want to start with his heavy hitters and the stuff that I really, really get a lot of joy out of. Um, OK, I've got one, if that's all right. Yeah. Alternate. It's, sure. Yeah. This is the opposite. And I think it's a good example of between that thing we just read and this. You're like, OK, this mm-hmm. story has contrast. I get it. Um, in this, he has Oh, we forgot to say when he's in these, it's almost like quantum leap, like he's able to take on roles and forms. So when he's in these vignettes, he can be whatever he wants. So he's a social worker in this vignette. Uh, That one was dark. yeah, it's pretty dark. Uh, he goes upstairs and he hears screams and he opens the door and saw the most beautiful young black woman he had ever seen tearing the rats off her baby. He left the check on the kitchen table. He did not have an affair with her. He did not see her fall from the apartment window six stories into a courtyard and never knew if she came back from the grave to escape the rats that gnawed at her cheap wooden casket. He never loved her and so was not there when she became when what she became flowed back up through the walls of the tenement to absorb him and meld with him and become one with him as he lay sleeping penitently on the filthy floor of the topmost apartment. He left the check, and none of that happened. That is so powerful to me for a passage about events that didn't happen. Like, even in the fakery of the short story, he's saying... that none of that happened I'm like oh my god the uh it reminds me of my favorite lewin davis shot the wasted potential of passing the exit on the freeway uh that he knows his estranged son lives off that exit and he just passes it
1: oh you're like oh i i read Uh, this passage very differently from you oh go for it yeah uh again to the uh the nature of of lies uh to me That was the reality he presented to everyone else. The reason that we're going through all of that detail and insisting that it didn't happen is because it did.
0: Oh, yeah, she did die and become a ghost and meld with him. And in that vignette. wow. Well, that might be be more allegory,
1: but the whole he slept with her and she committed suicide and he wasn't supposed to do any of that. I didn't do that.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. Interesting. Then it's almost like an inner light thing, because that would be one of the only vignettes where Levindus lives a whole life, or it's implied. You know, inner light, the episode where Picard like lives a life oh, all day. Oh,
1: the only episode in Next Generation that does not have uh, Data in it. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know that. That's yeah. great. Picard and Data uh, are the two main characters, and that's the only one Data doesn't show up in.
0: I wonder if there's a Simpsons with no Bart. I bet there is. I mean, there's been so many that it must have happened uh, by now. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Although I did mention <laughs> Krusty the Clown earlier. True. Um, any more quotes? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I considered that one, but I I struck mm-hmm. it because it was such a long passage that you had yeah. to read the whole thing. And I was like, that seems like it's not the assignment. Um, I really liked uh, on this one, do 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 do. Uh, He's talking about having placed the Ark uh, on a a mountain Mm. in Kurdistan, and I I was raised uh, in a religious family. And so the the passage that mimics biblicality here. He made sure to place them two by two, every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, and every bird of every sort, two by two. Also... The bones of pairs of griffins, unicorns, stegosaurs, tengu's, dragons, orthodontists, and the carbon-datable fifty-thousand-year-old bones of a relief pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. Um, yeah, to, to so me, recent. that one is that one reads so very Douglas Adams.
0: Yeah, it they is, have crossover to yeah, my favorite authors. It's, for a, sure. it's a
1: nonsense in a very, very specific way.
0: Yeah. That's what I mean is Ellison's signature thing is no, not spare. True, (laughs) like Hemingway said, spare and true. And and Ellison says true, but not spare, Um, for example. And uh, given the political situation we're in at the moment, and uh, for quite some time, decades now at this Mm -hmm. point, frankly. But um, I just think this... Came, probably seemed cranky old man yelling at Cloud at the time this was originally published. Now seems like, yeah, that's basically spot on. <laughs> um, uh, the, he talks about Levendus going and eliminating a repugnant, like, I forget what they did, but... Uh, Oh, 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 it's the former head of the Klu Klux Klan. Mm -hmm. And he gets them eliminated from a political race. Like, oh, uh, you know, they're no longer a threat. They're not going to run. And this leaves the electoral field open for the enlightened voters of Louisiana to a man who as a child had assisted Mengele's medical experiments, a second contender who had changed his name to avoid being arrested for child mutilation, and an illiterate swamp cabbage farmer from Baton Rouge whose political philosophy involved cutting the throats of peccary pigs and thrusting one's face into the boiling blood of the corpses. Waste not, want not. Yeah.
1: Woo. A lot of repetition in the whole story, too, because that's the second instance of of saying waste not, want not.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, which Vonnegut and Allison very much both have in common. They liked picking catchphrases and were doing them multiple times in the story. If you're familiar with my short stories, I have been guilty of that as well. It's not a bad maneuver. Speechwriters do it it has impact cuz we're stupid we like chanting <laughs> <laughs> repetitive things uh okay all i've i've got one last one so okay. i'll leave it open to you um
1: yeah i had uh one more i'm trying to find it uh yeah, Oh, okay here is the passage and the exact it, it is a, a a short one where he talks about having been uh it sounds like one of the liberating troops at one of the work camps in uh nazi germany mm-hmm. um and i particularly liked this description of two uh, of of people who are still alive uh it becomes clear in this passage entwined so cavalierly that here a woman with three arms and there a child with legs of a sprinter three times his age a woman's mm. face looking up at him with soot for sight remarkable cheekbones high and lovely
0: she might have been an actress. Soot for sight. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, when he's being photographed in a famous photo of the death camps. Yeah. Uh, he plays the figure being photographed. It's yeah, it is very quantum leapy. Levendus is like in which actually. OK, I got two more because I can't not mention. OK. Uh, and this isn't a quote so much as. A my favorite vignette sequence, which is there's a vignette where he gives penicillin, a penicillin injection to a sex worker in like 1800s London. So that instead of dying due to Jack the Ripper or something uh, like that, uh, or of syphilis, she, her syphilis is cured. He gives her money. She lives in an abandoned house, has children. And like her grandchild grows up to be a hero that saves billions of lives. And then later, There's a vignette where he rows Christopher Columbus ashore, the titular action, and they all order pizza. And the man who had done the rowing made sure that venereal disease was quickly spread so that centuries later, he could give a beautiful young woman an inoculation in her left buttocks. So in other words, he's responsible for the genocide of the Native Americans, uh, And also saving, presumably, a roughly equal number of lives later by curing the venereal disease that he implanted. And I think that's a very, like Ellison does, it's not as pithy or concise as Vonnegut, but it's the same truth that Vonnegut says, which is we don't know good news from bad news because we don't know enough about what's going to happen. Um, It's impossible to tell. Like he's trying to help and he fucks everything up. He tries to help and it goes well. You know what I mean? Just that chaos is so poetic to me and very true. It's like Herc in the wire. Uh, Okay. And the final thing I want to quote, just so people uh, get a nice wrap up. And if you haven't read the story, understand or can start theorizing about who you think Leventus is. The actual most we get about what is going on, what does this all mean is the final passage, which reads... Levendis on squabe the 35th of october he was advised by the front office that he had been having too rich of a time at the expense of the master parameter and he was removed from his position and the unit was closed down and darkness was penciled in as a mid-season replacement uh which of course implies that it's it's very good place to me it it implies that it's run like a tv network right like reality is a tv network yeah oh, and ellison which, hated what, tv what's that what's that movie with
1: uh with uh the the dude uh, defending your life no the the he plays a ghost cop
0: uh bprd yes okay
1: yeah the bureau of human yeah
0: or or ripd ripd I think. It's oh, that right yeah. Here. That one. Yeah. is from Hellboy. I, <laughs> yes. There,
1: there's a lot of versions of that, but I wanted to pick the stupidest one.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. E- unless you're if you're out, that's Harlan's. Uh, I, I also
1: really, it? really like uh, yes, just go. out of context. The cat was later sold as bookends.
0: Oh yeah, because it got, but but I I was confused because I thought it lived from being split in half. Is it a living yeah,
1: bookends? It was very confusing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, that brings us to my second favorite segment, where I make my guests <laughs> write one-liners because uh, I miss writing comedy. I enjoyed my tenure at cracked, and I miss it. So these are three one-liners specifically. Uh, I also like the idea that I guarantee no one's ever written jokes on this topic before. Here comes six one-liners specifically about the Harlan Ellison short story, The Man Who Rode Christopher Columbus Ashore. Alabrel's going to start. Take us away, buddy. Yeah, I would say that the uh, plot of the story summarizes as... The agency
1: spurned him because he put so much concern into discerning the earnings of Poppy Kernick and that hypodermic <laughs> to ultimately just turn her yearning to earn into learning of his failure to return.
0: Man, that had good flow. That was amazing.
1: Thank you. That uh, took like 45 minutes. I to bet write. that
0: was actually a <laughs> bit of writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I This also took me 45 minutes to write. What did the pitas say to the yeast? Levin dis. <laughs> did you consider maybe levin dis joke out? Leavened. oh my god good touche <laughs> wait was that your second one you yeah. slipped it by you used mm-hmm. it diegetically all right Uh-oh. then i'm gonna go okay honey you take the kids to karate and i'll drive them to soccer practice on Thursday, the 94th of March. oh no we got the fucking leavenous calendars again <laughs> Okay. That's a, okay, that so, you have to imagine a scene for that one, but yeah. Yeah, that that one's certs of funny. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, that that takes you 3 for 3. And yeah. in the home stretch now. I'm sorry listeners, we're almost done. Hey, Harlan Ellison, first silver corridor, now this. Like vignettes much? It's hard to read the words at the edges of the pages cuz they get blurry and fade to black. Vignettes. That's a vignettes joke. <laughs> Does that make sense? In post-production, when the edges of something are blurred and faded to black, that's a vignette.
1: I had to read it a couple times.
0: Yeah, it's bad. It's the worst one. That's why I put it at the end. (sighs) All right. I think we did it. And as usual, yeah, it's just a normal length podcast. I used to think these episodes would be shorter than our normal podcast because they're short stories (laughs) and the premise is it's a bite-sized book club. But nah. This is so. It's been a delightful near hour chatting with you, my friend. Uh, Where I've certainly enjoyed it. Oops, sorry, I I ramped the plugs. But where can people find you? Find out what you're doing. Potentially see more of this tabletop game. I'm learning.
1: Yes, uh, I am on all of the platforms at Alibrelle, Alebrelle, A-L-E-B-R-E-L-L-E. Uh, Twitch is my main platform. I tweet quite a bit. If you like to see social justice stuff on your feed, uh, I, I bring a lot of that talk onto Twitter. Uh, my TikTok is kind of not active right now, but I am planning to do a series on the original Twilight Zone very shortly. Nice. Um, and the tabletop game is going to be released on its own, uh, Patreon individually, but if you were to follow me anywhere, uh, you would be able to, uh, find that, because I'm, I'm definitely going to be
0: shouting that one from the rafters when we get started. Heck yes. And of course, as always, you can find a bunch of bonus pods like *Spielboys* and Star Trek, the next Futurama, where we do talk about those things. I like uh, that one a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Over at Patreon.com slash That's all. We're out. Follow me on Twitter at SwamCorp if you want to follow along, because I'll be tweeting as soon as I know uh, who my next victim is and what story I'm going to wrap around them. Till then.